0: Day seven, the ninth story of the Decameron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eugene Smith. The Decameron by Giovanni Boccaccio. Translated by J. M. Rigg. Day seven, the ninth story lydia wife of nicostratus loves pyrrhus who to assure himself thereof asks three things of her all of which she does and therewithal enjoys him in the presence of nicostratus and makes nicostratus believe that what he saw was not real so diverting did the ladies find neophilus story that it kept them still laughing and talking though the king having bidden pamphilo tell his story had several times enjoyed silence upon them however as soon as they had done pamphilo thus began methinks worshipful ladies there is no venture though fraught with gravest peril that whoso loves ardently will not make of which truth exemplified though it has been in stories not a few i purpose to afford you yet more signal proof in one which i shall tell you wherein you will hear of a lady who in her enterprises owed far more to the favour of fortune than to the guidance of reason wherefore i should not advise any of you rashly to follow in her footsteps seeing that fortune is not always in a kindly mood nor are the eyes of all men equally holden in argos the most ancient city of achaia the fame of whose kings of old time is out of all proportion to its size, there dwelt of yore Nicostratus, a nobleman, to whom, when he was already verging on old age, fortune gave to wife a great lady, Lydia by name, whose courage matched her charms. Nicostratus, as suited with his rank and wealth, kept not a few retainers and hounds and hawks, and was mightily addicted to the chase among his dependents was a young man named pyrrhus a gallant of no mean accomplishment and goodly of person and beloved and trusted by nicostratus above all other of whom lydia grew mightily enamoured insomuch that neither by day nor by night might her thoughts stray from him but whether it was that pyrrhus wist not her love or would have none of it he gave no sign of recognition whereby the lady suffering, waxing more than she could bear, she made up her mind to declare her love to him. And having a chambermaid, Luska by name, in whom she placed great trust, she called her, and said, Luska, tokens thou hast had from me of my regard that that should ensure thy obedience and loyalty. Wherefore, have a care that what I shall now tell thee reach the ears of none but him to whom i shall bid thee impart it thou seest Lusca, that i am in the prime of my youth and lusty head and have neither lack nor stint of all such things as folk desire save only to be brief that i have one cause to repine to wit that my husband's years so far outnumber my own wherefore with that whereon young ladies take most pleasure i am but ill provided and as my desire is no less than theirs, 'tis now some while since i determined that if fortune has shown herself so little friendly to me by giving me a husband so advanced in years at least i will not be mine own enemy by sparing to devise the means whereby my happiness and health may be assured and that herein as in all other matters my joy may be complete i have chosen thereto to minister by his embraces our apyrus deeming him more worthy than any other man and have so set my heart upon him that i am ever ill at ease save when he is present either to my sight or to my mind insomuch that unless i foregather with him without delay i doubt that twill be the death of me and so if thou wouldst hold my life dear thou wilt show him my love on such wise as thou mayest deem best and make my suit to him that he be pleased to come to me when thou shalt go to fetch him that gladly will i replied the chambermaid and as soon as she found convenient time and place she drew pyrrhus apart and as best she knew how conveyed her lady's message to him which pyrrhus found passing strange to hear for twas in truth a complete surprise to him and he doubted the lady did but mean to try him. Wherefore he presently, and with some asperity, answered thus, Lusca, believe I cannot this message comes from my lady? Have a care, therefore, what thou sayest, and if perchance it does come from her, I doubt she does not mean it. And if perchance she does mean it, why, then I am bound by my lord above what I deserve, and I would not for my life do him such a wrong. So have a care never to speak of such matters to me again. Luska, nowise disconcerted by his uncompliant tone, rejoined, I shall speak to thee, Pyrrhus, of these and all other matters, Wherewith I may be commissioned by my lady, as often as she shall bid me, Whether it pleases or irks thee. But thou art a blockhead. So, somewhat chafed, Luska bore Pyrrhus's answer back to her lady, who would fain have died when she heard it and some days afterwards resumed the topic saying thou knowest luska that 'tis not the first stroke that fells the oak wherefore methinks thou wert best go back to this strange man who is minded to evince his loyalty at my expense and choosing a convenient time declare to him all my passion and do thy best endeavour that the affair be carried through for if it should thus lapse t'would be the death of me besides which he would think we had but trifled with him and whereas tis his love we would have we should earn his hatred so after comforting the lady the maid hied her in quest of pyrrhus whom she found in a gladsome and propitious mood and thus addressed tis not many days pyrrhus since i declared to thee how ardent is the flame with which thy lady and mine is consumed for love of thee and now again I do thee wit thereof, and that, if thou shalt not relent of the harshness that thou didst manifest the other day, thou mayest rest assured that her life will be short. Wherefore, I pray thee to be pleased to give her solace of her desire, and shouldst thou persist in thy audacity, I, that give thee credit for not a little sense, shall deem thee a great fool, How flattered thou shouldst be to know thyself beloved above all else by a lady so beauteous and high-born and how indebted shouldst thou feel thyself to fortune seeing that she has in store for thee a boon so great and so suited to the cravings of thy youth ay and so like to be of service to thee upon occasion of need bethink thee if there be any of thine equals whose life is ordered more agreeably than thine will be if thou but be wise which of them wilt thou find so well furnished with arms and horses clothes and money as thou shalt be if thou but give my lady thy love receive then my words with open mind be thyself again bethink thee that tis fortune's way to confront a man but once with smiling mien and open lap and if he then accept not her bounty he has but himself to blame if afterward he find himself in want in beggary besides which no such loyalty is demanded between servants and their masters as between friends and kinsfolk rather tis for servants so far as they may to behave towards their masters as their masters behave towards them thinkest thou that if thou hadst a fair wife or mother or daughter or sister that found favour in nicostratus's eyes he would be so scrupulous on the point of loyalty as thou art disposed to be in regard of his lady thou art a fool if so thou dost believe hold it for certain that if blandishments and supplications did not suffice he would whatever thou mightest think of it have recourse to force observe we then towards them and theirs the same rule which they observe towards us and ours take the boon that fortune offers thee, repulse her not, rather go thou to meet her, and hail her advance, for be sure that if thou dost not do so, to say naught of thy lady's death, which will certainly ensue, thou thyself will repent thee thereof, so often, that thou wilt be fain of death. Since he had last seen Lusca, Pyrrhus had repeatedly pondered what she had said to him, and had made his mind up that should she come again he would answer her in another sort and comply in all respects with the lady's desires provided he might be assured that she was not merely putting him to the proof wherefore he now made answer lo now luska i acknowledge the truth of all that thou sayest but on the other hand i know that my lord is not a little wise and wary and as he has committed all his affairs to my charge i sorely misdoubt me that tis with his approbation and by his advice and but to prove me that lydia does this wherefore let her do three things which i shall demand of her for my assurance and then there is naught that she shall crave of me but i will certainly render her prompt obedience which three things are these first let her, in Nicostratus's presence, kill his fine sparrow-hawk. Then she must send me a lock of Nicostratus's beard, and lastly, one of his best teeth. Hard seemed these terms to Lusca, and hard beyond measure to the lady, but love, that great fodder of enterprise and master of stratagem, gave her resolution to address herself to their performance. Wherefore, through the chambermaid, she sent him word that what he required of her, she would do, and that without either reservation or delay. And therewithal she told him that, as he deemed Nicostratus so wise, she would contrive that they should enjoy one another in Nicostratus's presence, and the Nicostratus should believe that twas a mere show. Pyrrhus, therefore, anxiously expected what the lady would do. Some days thus passed, and then Nicostratus gave a great breakfast, as was his frequent wont, to certain gentlemen, and when the tables were removed, the lady, robed in green samite, and richly adorned, came forth of her chamber into the hall wherein they sat, and before the eyes of Pyrrhus, and all the rest of the company, hied her to the perch on which stood the sparrow-hawk, that Nicostratus so much prized, and loosed him and as if she were minded to carry him on her hand took him by the jesses and dashed him against the wall so that he died whereupon alas my lady what hast thou done exclaimed nicostratus but she vouchsafed no answer save that turning to the gentleman that had sat at meat with him she said my lords ill fitted were i to take vengeance on a king that had done me despite if i lack the courage to be avenged on a sparrow-hawk you are to know that by this bird i have long been cheated of all the time that ought to be devoted by gentlemen to pleasuring their ladies for with the first streaks of dawn nicostratus has been up and got him to horse and hawk on hand hide him to the champagne to see him fly leaving me such as you see me alone and ill-content abed for which cause i have oftentimes been minded to do that which i have now done and have only refrained therefrom that biding my time i might do it in the presence of men that should judge my case justly as i trust you will do which hearing the gentleman who deemed her affections no less fixed on nicostratus than her words imported broke with one accord into a laugh and turning to nicostratus who was sore displeased fell as saying now well done of the lady to avenge her wrongs by the death of the sparrow-hawk and so the lady being withdrawn to her chamber they passed the affair off with divers pleasantries turning the wrath of nicostratus to laughter pyrrhus who had witnessed what had passed said to himself nobly indeed has my lady begun and on such wise as promises well for the felicity of my love god grant that she so continue and even so lydia did for not many days after she had killed the sparrow-hawk she being with nicostratus in her chamber from caressing passed to toying and trifling with him and he sportively pulling her by the hair gave her occasion to fulfil the second of pyrrhus's demands which she did by nimbly laying hold of one of the lesser tufts of his beard and laughing the while plucking it so hard that she tore it out of his chin which nicostratus somewhat resenting now what cause hast thou quoth she to make such a wry face tis but that i have plucked some half-dozen hairs from thy beard thou didst not feel it as much as did i but now thy tugging of my hair and so they continued jesting and sporting with one another the lady jealously guarding the tuft that she had torn from the beard which the very same day she sent to her cherished lover the third demand caused the lady more thought but being amply endowed with wit and powerfully seconded by love she failed not to hit upon an apt expedient nicostratus had in his service two lads who being of gentle birth had been placed with him by their kinsfolk that they might learn manners one of whom when nicostratus sat at meat carved before him while the other gave him to drink both lads lydia called to her and gave them to understand that their breath smelt and admonished them that when they waited on nicostratus they should hold their heads as far back as possible saying never a word of the matter to any the lads believing her did as she bade them whereupon she took occasion to say to nicostratus Hast thou marked what these lads do when they wait upon thee? Troth, that have I, replied Nicostratus Indeed, I have often had it in mind to ask them why they do so. Nay, rejoined the lady, spare thyself the pains, for I can tell thee the reason, which I have for some time kept close, lest it should vex thee. But as I now see that others begin to beware of it, it need no longer be withheld from thee, "'Tis for that thy breath stinks shrewdly, "'that they thus avert their heads from thee. "'Twas not wont to be so, "'nor know I why it should be so, "'and tis most offensive "'when thou art in converse with gentlemen, "'and therefore twould be well "'to find some way of curing it.' "'I wonder what it could be,' returned Nicostratus. "'Is it perchance that I have a decayed tooth in my jaw?' "'That may well be,' quoth Lydia.' and taking him to a window she caused him open his mouth and after regarding it on this side and that o oh nicostratus quoth she how couldst thou have endured it so long thou hast a tooth here which by what i see is not only decayed but actually rotten throughout and beyond all manner of doubt if thou let it remain long in thy head twill infect its neighbours so tis my advice that thou out with it before the matter grows worse my judgment jumps with thine quoth nicostratus wherefore send without delay for a chirurgeon to draw it god forbid returned the lady that chirurgeon come hither for such a purpose methinks the case is such that i can very well dispense with him and draw the tooth myself besides which these chirurgeons do these things in such a cruel way that i could never endure to see thee or know thee under the hands of any of them wherefore my mind is quite made up to do it myself, that, at least if thou shalt suffer too much, I may give it over at once, as a chirurgeon would not do. And so she caused the instruments that are used on such occasions to be brought her, and having dismissed all other attendants, save Luska, from the chamber, and locked the door, made Nicostratus lie down on a table, set the pincers in his mouth, and clapped them on one of his teeth, which, while Luska held him, so that, albeit he roared for pain, he might not move, she wrenched by main force from his jaw, and keeping it close, took from Luska's hand another, and horribly decayed tooth, which she showed him, suffering and half dead as he was, saying, See what thou hadst in thy jaw? Mark how far gone it is. Believing what she said, and deeming that, now the tooth was out, his breath would no more be offensive, and being somewhat eased of the pain, which had been extreme, and still remained, so that he murmured not little, by diverse comforting applications, he quitted the chamber. Whereupon the lady forthwith sent the tooth to her lover, who, having now full assurance of her love, placed himself entirely at her service. But the lady being minded to make his assurance yet more sure, and deeming each hour a thousand till she might be with him, now saw fit for the more ready performance of the promise she had given him to feign sickness and nicostratus coming to see her one day after breakfast attended only by pyrrhus she besought him for her better solacement to help her down to the garden wherefore nicostratus on one side and pyrrhus on the other took her and bore her down to the garden and set her on a lawn at the foot of a beautiful pear tree and after they had sat there a while the lady who had already given pyrrhus to understand what he must do said to him pyrrhus i should greatly like to have some of those pears get thee up the tree and shake some of them down pyrrhus climbed the tree in a trice and began to shake down the pears and while he did so fie sir quoth he what is this you do and you madam have you no shame that you suffer him to do so in my presence Think you that I am blind? Twas but now that you were greatly indisposed. Your cure has been speedy indeed to permit of your so behaving. And as for such a purpose, you have so many goodly chambers. Why betake you not yourselves to one of them, if you must needs so disport yourselves? T'would be much more decent than to do so in my presence. Whereupon the lady, turning to her husband, Now what can Pyrrhus mean? said she. Is he mad? Nay, madam, quoth Pyrrhus, Mad am not I. Think you I see you not? Whereat Nicostratus Marvelled not a little, And Pyrrhus, quoth he, I verily believe thou dreamest. Nay, my lord, Replied Pyrrhus, Not a whit do I dream, Neither do you. Rather you wag it with such vigor, That if this pear tree did the like, There would be never a pear left on it. Then the lady, What can this mean, quoth she? Can it be that it really seems to him to be as he says? Upon my hope of salvation, were I but in my former health, I would get me up there to judge for myself what these wonders are, which he professes to see. Whereupon, as Pyrrhus and the pear-tree continued talking in the same strange strain, Come down, quoth Nicostratus. And when he was down, now what said nicostratus is it thou sayest thou seest up there i suppose replied pyrrhus that you take me to be deluded or dreaming but as i must needs tell you the truth i saw you lying upon your wife and then when i came down i saw you get up and sit you down here where you now are therein said nicostratus thou wast certainly deluded for since thou clomest the pear-tree we have not budged a jot, save as thou seest. Then said Pyrrhus, Why make more words about the matter? Saw you, I certainly did, and seeing you, I saw you lying upon your own. Nicostratus's wonder now waxed momently, insomuch that he said, I am minded to see if this pear-tree be enchanted, so that whoso is in it sees marvels. And so he got him up into it whereupon the lady and pyrrhus fell to disporting them and Nicostratus, seeing what they were about exclaimed ah lewd woman what is this thou doest and thou pyrrhus in whom i so much trusted and so saying he began to climb down meanwhile the lady and pyrrhus made answer we are sitting here and seeing him descending they placed themselves as they had been when he had left them whom nicostratus being come down no sooner saw than he fell a rating then then quoth pyrrhus verily nicostratus i now acknowledge that as you said a while ago what i saw when i was in the pear tree was but a false show albeit i had never understood that so it was but that i now see and know that thou hast also seen a false show and that i speak truth you may sufficiently assure yourself if you but reflect, whether 'tis likely that your wife, who for virtue and discretion has not her peer among women, would, if she were minded so to dishonour you, see fit to do so before your very eyes. Of myself I say not, albeit I had leave her be hewn in pieces, and that I should so much as think of such a thing, much less do it in your presence. Wherefore tis evident that tis some illusion of sight that is propagated from the pear-tree for naught in the world would have made me believe that i saw not you lying there in carnal intercourse with your wife had i not heard you say that you saw me doing that which most assuredly so far from doing i never so much as thought of the lady then started up with a most resentful mien and burst out foul fall thee if thou knowest so little of me as to suppose that if i were minded to do thee such foul dishonour as thou sayest thou didst see me do i would come hither to do it before thine eyes rest assured that for such a purpose were it ever mine i should deem one of our chambers more meet and it should go hard but i would so order the matter that thou shouldst never know aught of it nicostratus having heard both and deeming that what they both averred must be true to wit that they would never have ventured upon such an act in his presence passed from chiding to talk of the singularity of the thing and how marvellous it was that the vision should reshape itself for every one that cloned the tree the lady however made a show of being distressed that nicostrata should so have thought of her and verily quoth she no woman neither i nor another shall again suffer loss of honour by this pear-tree run pyrrhus and bring hither an axe and at one and the same time vindicate thy honour and mine by felling it albeit twere better for Nicostratus's skull should feel the weight of the axe, seeing that in utter heedlessness he so readily suffered the eyes of his mind to be blinded, for, albeit this vision was seen by the bodily eye, yet ought the understanding by no means to have entertained and affirmed it as real. So Pyrrhus presently hied him to fetch the axe, and returning therewith felled the pair, whereupon the lady, turning towards Nicostratus, now that this foe of my honour is fallen, quoth she, my wrath is gone from me. Nicostratus then craving her pardon, she graciously granted it him, bidding him never again to suffer himself to be betrayed into thinking such a thing of her, who loved him more dearly than herself. So the poor duped husband went back with her, and her lover, to the palace, where not seldom in time to come Pyrrhus and Lydia took their pastime together more at ease god grant us the like end of day seven the ninth story